1: If you're a person who's interested in growth or interested in bettering your life or rising above your circumstances, well, no matter what they are, if it's financial, if it's health, if it's relationships, if it's just well-being, it's hard when the culture around you doesn't reward that kind of behavior. It goes counter to the actual science on productivity. That was the part that was so frustrating to me because if they wanted me to be their best, my best, why would not you let me sleep why wouldn't you let me get real work done why wouldn't you let me like take care of myself that is how you do better work and at least that hasn't been my experience in corporations the psychological minefield of being considered an expert in one space and then having to have a beginner's mind was so challenging for me because i put up a website and i knew my opt-ins were bad i knew my ctas were crappy i knew like all of these things that i was fixing for clients i didn't have and i was so embarrassed about it so i didn't promote it i didn't want to tell anyone but it was a real lesson in humility and um what it takes to actually build something and put it out into the world and it helped me empathize a lot more with my clients in that time but you have choices in your life, and I love your example of, is it not eating at your desk? Like the little things that you can do. Because more and more, I think that that's what holds us back in business, in marketing, in life. It is that feeling that everything isn't fixable or figure outable. And that's what I try and convey. Everything I predicted was wrong. You know, like I didn't know until I dug in.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. I am super excited because this is the first episode in 2018. Before we get started, I have a quick announcement, which is I am currently working on a year in review for Face World Podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about that, for how we monetize, how we make money as a business without counting the downloads, how we look for guests and things like that. Please sign up for the newsletter, faceworld.com forward slash newsletter. And I will be able to deliver all the behind the scenes and learnings from FaceWorld right to your inbox. No more than a few times a month, I promise. Today on the show, I have an unsung hero named Margot Aaron who I met through Seth Godin's L10BA. It is an online course I took at the beginning of 2017, a transformational experience that helped me realize my potential where I want to take Face World and met a lot of like-minded people who didn't just become friends, but also business partners and mastermind collaborators. As part of l 10 we did a lot of writing, reviewed each other's work, provided feedback, and shipped constantly every 72 hours. I happened to read one of Margot's homework assignments, and her writing hit me right away. I could not stop reading it. I even teared up halfway through the page. That's precisely when I realized that Margot could be a perfect candidate for Phase World. Soon after L10BA concluded, she was recognized as the basically MVP among the entire session across multiple cohorts. I believe the name of the award was called Walker's Award. I wasn't surprised. So today, interviewing Margot, I got to learn so much more beyond uh, who she is as a colleague or as a classmate, as part of l ba I discovered that she runs her blog, That Seems Important. I'm on her email list, by the way, and it's one of the very few I read regularly. She's also a writer for several major sites, such as Business Insider, Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, and Income on Others. She's a speaker, talks about honest selling secrets, uh, and also why your marketing isn't working. On top of that, she conducts workshops for corporations and cover subjects such as content that converts, newsletter, bootcamp. You can imagine she's more than qualified to talk about those because her own newsletters are incredibly well-written and also effective. One of my personal favorites is The Arena, which is a virtual co-working space she created specifically for solopreneurs with online businesses and virtual companies. Look, what I love about this conversation and really many other episodes on FaceWorld is that there's no brag, no empty promises, no constant call to actions. This is a behind-the-scenes, real talk with a real entrepreneur. It's a rare and also irreplaceable opportunity for people to learn about business. If you enjoy this episode, please check out others similar to Margot's story on faceworld.com and better yet, subscribe to the show. Believe it or not, that simple action helps us spread the word and engage with other listeners from around the world. Without further ado, please welcome Margot Aaron to the Faceworld podcast. Have so much uh, overlap. I, you know, I learned a lot working for consulting for agency, but gosh, that was too long for too many years. Even if you walk in as a confident, like you know, generally happy person, you probably walk out questioning everything uh, about yourself or second guessing every moment. Oh my um, god!
1: Yeah, no, that piece is is key. I I remember meeting with people after I left the agency world a year or two later, and we got drinks or dinner together and I'd keep up with them and they had all the same problems. There was no growth in who they were as a person or even the type of problems they have. And I think, you know, you're never going to have no problems. I think that's that's just a lie. But the type of problems you have change. And I personally like the problems that come with entrepreneurship. A lot of people don't. The problems that they had were still, you know, I can't get to the gym. I'm so fat. Uh, I hate how I look. Every client is the worst. I never can do any of the creative projects I want to do. What am I doing with my life? Maybe I should get another job. Like It was all the same exact conversations we've been having for years and no actual action behind them. And that just, that wears on you day after day. You you can't, I I personally couldn't be around that kind of toxic thinking. I needed people around me who were like, yeah, okay, so I want to lose weight. So what are the three ways I'm going to go to the gym this week? you know, or how am I going to eat differently? Or just thinking in terms of how I can find solutions to the things I'm working on.
0: I couldn't echo that more. And I think another layer of the toxic part of an agency life is actually you don't have that support system necessarily within the agency itself. I I definitely made lifelong friends, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in an environment where you are not encouraged to support one another. Yeah. Even among women too, right? We talk about women empowerment, but sometimes the backstabbing start with women against one another. That's something I never really understood. And on one hand, you're on the phone, the clients are screaming, yelling at you, you you hang up, then you look around, you can't really trust that environment either. So I think that's really, really tough for anybody.
1: That piece is part of what fuels me. No matter what my business ends up looking at, you know, it pivots all the time. I think the girl-on-girl bullying that you see in the corporate sector, it's horrible, and it's not going to be fixed from in there. Like, we have to create new types of businesses that raise people up. Forget the fact that men were not understanding of women who took maternity leave, um, and there's, like, a lot of old-school madmen inheritance of that culture. So that that aside, the women-on-women hating and pushing people down, like, the things that were said to me for, for how I looked, how I talked what I thought, like, it really didn't matter anything about me. I don't think it was personal. I think it was more that these women thought that the way to succeed was to push others down. And I couldn't get on board with that. And there was the the only reason I even knew it was happening because a lot of people say, oh, that's just how it is. You got to toughen up. Like that's the game. That is not true. It's not true. And the reason I know is because I'd met women who weren't like that. And there was one woman in particular who was not in my, team, but she was in someone else's team and happened to do some work with us. And she was so helpful and kind and would teach me ways to be smarter than her. You know, she like wanted me to be better. And I I remember thinking that I wanted to run my business that way, where I wanted, I didn't want to act like I was coming from fear all the time, thinking that other people were going to rain on my parade, that they would talk down to you. I mean, they'd say things like, like, oh, you'll understand when you have kids. Oh, you're young now, so you think that's a good idea. Or you're the, like, every part of my experience was discounted, but they never actually showed any curiosity in my life or or if they didn't
0: even know I had kids or not. like they, <laughs> People are just mean, and women in particular were mean to each other. That's so interesting because I remember when I bring things up like that, I'm very careful because when you're working together, some women are like, oh, wink, wink, let's not talk about this and let's not confront this. Or once you, you know, you talk to other people, maybe in banking or somewhere else, I feel like there's some, there's always that overlap, but there's not that exact equivalent of women in marketing versus women in banking or financial services. So the problem actually seems kind of trivial because there's so, you know, fewer positions or availability for women to advance in so many sectors, corporate sectors. And think about, and then there's so many more women now working under a huge amount of pressure. And I know women working instead of men in certain households too. Uh, but I think we need to coach and really have that open conversation is to include women who support one another. And I really like to believe I'm one of those. And I'm very, that was kind of my staple that I want to help people who are younger and people who are older, if they choose to, to help them advance in their career or just eliminate fear and the level of anxiety for that day. If I could make their day, their week better, that was enough for me yeah. the
1: the the thing that's worked, or at least the approach I've taken, is to lead by example. You know, I think talking to to young girls has not helped as much as just being the woman that and that shows them you can be kind. When I meet young people who ask me for coffee or want to connect, like I'm really keen on who, is not wasting my time. You know, that they're asking good questions. They've come prepared. They seem really smart. And then I will sit down and I'm happy to talk to them. And when we chat, especially in the context of, of women in the workplace, I am constantly trying to connect them and coach them from the back end and saying like, reach out to this person, tell them this, say this. Like, I want them to be more successful than me. And it's it's like you're coming from a different energy than the women that I knew in the workplace who were always trying to push me down always. I mean, they would say mean things behind my back that they'd know I'd find out about, or they would go after my exact position, make drama where there wasn't any. And it's it's horrible because you'll hear from other people. Like girls are so snotty girls are so gossipy. And, you know, so I try not to do that. Just don't engage. Um, but when you're in a corporate environment, it's hard. It's hard because that's part of the, Um, currency there. You know, it's how people get closer to each other. So in the communities that I've created and and in the women that I try and rise up, I make sure that we don't do that. Like we're not going to scream at someone about their parenting. We're not going to say mean things about each other behind each other's back. We're just going to talk about how you can succeed and not be a victim. I think that's really important that people think they're a victim and it gives them an excuse to put other people down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and just the love of insecurity, especially in an in- agency environment, is huge, and it's very sad to watch young girls, young women, and men to come into the agency with so much, you know, hope and optimism. And then even within months, right, they start to mimic whoever's around them and believe that's the right thing to do. Many people came up to me over the years. I've been in agency. I was in agency for a total of 10 years, which was clearly too long. But I've been on my own uh, for the past two to three years. I think the past two years, not only because of agency, but also because of entrepreneurship, freelancing, everything else. This is the happiest I've ever been my entire life. So the question is the incentives, like what's the point of doing this? You know, people need a reason to say, Faye, maybe I'll do what you do, but what is the point? And I tell them now, when I left the agency uh, job, I didn't know, I didn't have any active clients at that time. I decided it was time for me to go. And, And within one weekend, there are people reaching out to me. And over the past two years, there are people who I helped and coached and were very young, young kids at the time. Now they're in their mid to late 20s, right? And then they are, it's interesting. And now they're in the more like mid-management positions. And they're the ones who reach out to me and said, we want more of your energy wherever we are now. So people do do leave the old environment where you both belonged and now they moved on and you're remembered. Totally. I mean, it's these cultures of scarcity that I think are really hard to to
1: rise up in. So I'll give you an example. Like It's not just a women's issue. I think if you're a person who's interested in growth or interested in bettering your life or rising above your circumstances, no matter what they are, if it's financial, if it's health, if it's relationships, if it's just well-being, it's hard when the culture around you doesn't reward that kind of behavior. So I'll tell you a story that I think illustrates this best. So I used to travel a lot when I worked in an agency. It was really wearing on me because I like to go to the gym and I like to eat clean. And I also like to get work done. And a lot of times in agency world, you're like professionally going to meetings. Like that's your job. And especially when we would travel, I would be in meeting after meeting, after meeting, after meeting. And then you'd go straight to a dinner or have to get drinks with clients. And it was considered team bonding or business development or whatever they wanted to call it. But really, they just wanted to drink, which is fine. I drink, but it was more like in lieu of getting work done. So the expectation was you get home at like 11 and then you start working. And this it was just so backwards to me. And I wasn't senior enough to really push back. And the few times that I had opted out, I looked like not a team player. So I, I had a really hard time with this. So I decided the cross I was gonna die on was not gonna be drinking. I was gonna drink, it was gonna be fine. But health, I wasn't gonna negotiate that. So we're at dinner one night and it was one of those horrible dinners, like 15 people at the table. and You can't have a good conversation for your life. And the clients are there and we're there and we're supposed to be bonding and we're going around the, the, everyone's ordering and we're supposed to be getting margaritas and tacos and like really heavy food. And I finally said, screw this. Like. (laughs) I want a glass of wine and a salad. Like I am not playing this game. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care if they think I'm not a team player. I don't want a pitcher. Like, no. And so I ordered and it was awkward. Like it was really awkward because, you know, people say, make side remarks like, Oh, the skinny girl's going to eat those salad. Cause I'm, I'm little naturally. And, um, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Fine. You know, normally those comments made me insecure. Well, here's the interesting part of the story. As we leave, Four people, I kid you not, male and female, came up to me saying, Thank you for ordering normal food because that's what we wanted to do. And it was nice to see you do it. So we felt the courage too. So I didn't even notice that was happening because I was too busy being bombarded by the people saying mean things to me about my eating habits, which aren't weird. Ordering sounds not that weird. But I guess when everyone else is eating something different, you look like a weirdo. But that was my aha moment where I went, Okay. So, There are people paying attention and everyone feels the way I feel.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that example just triggered all these loops of thoughts in my mind of things that happened for the past 10 years uh, at the agency when you choose to, you know, just when you choose to stand out and just be yourself, you know, speaking of health, it's such an epidemic of young people with poor, very, very poor health. Um, it's worse in some other countries. I originally grew up in China and moved here when I was in high school. So, I mean, I can't even look at some of my classmates now, only in their early 30s. And it's really sad. I I think since I left the agency world, not for nothing, uh, there, I gained 10 pounds and I left and I lost, right? It's not just what the number on the scale, but just how you feel inside inside out. I used to think I was the only one having like anxiety all around me, and uh, it did not feel right. And there's uh, one point that was so bad, I decided I had to do something, otherwise I was going to die. That feeling, you're not really going to die, but you feel like, wow, that's... So the office was right next to Equinox, which was a gym above and beyond uh, what I wanted to be part of, but it was right there. So... I signed up for it and I knew all the other girls, right young girls paying 150 dollars way back when. The money they didn't have, just they wanted to take care of themselves and nobody was going cuz you got no time. You either choose between yeah. sleep or you want to work out and so uh I decided to take <laughs> <That's> right, right? <laughs> take yoga classes uh, at lunchtime. So that meant that sometimes I had to eat uh, lunch on my desk, but yoga was so important. And so literally at some point was five to 10 girls, every single, at least every other day was coming with me. And that feeling of stressful day, being broken down into two with a really nice shower and the workout in between made that period of time possible. I don't know how otherwise I I would have made it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, oh, so many things. It goes counter to the actual science on productivity. That was the part that was so frustrating to me because if they wanted me to be their best, my best, why would you let me sleep why wouldn't you let me get real work done why wouldn't you let me like take care of myself that's that is how you do better work and i think you know there's something to be said for hustle culture and you know really really working hard but i don't think that's what at least that hasn't been my experience in corporations like it was always fake work right it's busy work it's like responding to emails going from meeting to meeting so like you think you're busy but you didn't actually do anything so you have this existential non-fulfillment. Like like I hadn't actually done anything that day, even though I worked a 15 hour day. Uh, So I ended up negotiating working from home and I got everything I needed done in like three hours. And I got in trouble because I need, I was supposed to bill more hours. Oh God. And I was like, this world, you know what? I'm done. And the, the thing that people don't realize is you have a choice. Like people say all the time when you're young, oh, you're so naive, you don't know how the real world works, like this is just how it is. No, like it doesn't have to be that way. Like you can run companies differently and I think that's what startups do really beautifully. I think a lot of solopreneurs are working on that, building that into their team where, you know, obviously you can't have a whole day of total self-care because you do need to do real work, but Alt-MBA is a, is a perfect example where, you do sometimes have to skip the gym, but you're actually getting fulfilling work done. You're being productive. You are maximizing your brain all in these really amazing ways that don't tax you where you feel depleted. Instead, you might feel tired, but you actually are proud of the results. It's very different
0: just the energy that I'm getting from you uh I feel like we're like a version of each other I'm not saying we overlap (laughs) completely but with that suffering, (laughs) a little bit first world suffering, which I told I want to be careful with that. Um, But it comes with a set of responsibility and inspiration to do what we do today. And, you know, I I read uh, a lot of your writings. Uh, Some of that is personal, some of that is business. And resonated with me uh, exactly, and I can see why people choose to work with people like us because they don't want to deal with all of which we just talked about. And I think some clients need to smarten up, or maybe you're Nike or someone. You don't care how many how many millions you spend a month, but at the end of the day, I think results do matter. Connections need to happen. It is a connection economy. It's really interesting. So. I would love to learn more about, you know, since when did you leave um, the agency world and what have you been doing since then? Kind of what that transition was like for you. Yeah, it was. So I did very differently than you. I didn't just quit cold. I was about to, and a
1: friend of mine who's way more successful than me called me up and she said, do not quit your job. That is dumb advice. Like make sure you have a few clients under your belt first. And and then get going. So for me, I had I always had that entrepreneurial itch. I knew I was gonna do something on my own, but I didn't know when. And it took hitting that tipping point at in the agency world to really feel like I didn't, I didn't want to be my boss. That was the problem. So I was like, where is this going? If I don't want to be promoted, like <laughs> what am I doing here? So I spent about six months taking clients on the side and weekends and learning I mean, every mistake in the book they I made it. I, I had the first proposal I ever wrote was for a thousand dollars. And it felt like so much money, right? It was like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm I'm charging this much. <laughs> and later, you know, and and you know, once you actually do it, you realize, oh shoot, like I should have charged. $20,000 for that because I'm an idiot and didn't realize how much work actually goes into these things. So, um, and client management. So it was, it was a wake up call for me and very helpful to learn that while I had a safety net, but it was a horrible time because it was exhausted and I was trying to balance everything. And when you do everything half-assed, you can't do anything well. Um, so I eventually I had saved up enough to have a lot of runway and I told myself, you have three months to make your revenue goals. And after that, if you don't make them, you have to get a job.
0: How long ago was this, by the way? This was in
1: 2014. All right. I, I did read that. 2014. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so, um, I, so I built a service-based business after that. Um, I ended up um, figuring... Getting clients was not difficult. I felt a lot like you, where once people knew I was available, um, opportunities started finding me. I was vocal about it, though. And I had worked up a really big network at that point, and was letting people know that I was available. So, at that time, I was freelancing um, for agencies, since that that was, was seemed to be an easier way for me to to make income. And then, um, work that evolved into working one on one with clients, um, and building myself into a mini boutique agency. Um, and that was great. I made great money, but I hated it. So I did that for about three years, and I honestly built a a company I I didn't love. Um, I I was reproducing a model I think is broken. I think the agency model of having, um, one, being full service, it just doesn't work. You need to be niche. People need more niche uh, help, and a lot of people are bringing stuff in-house.
0: By the way, were you running it by yourself? Did you have help from elsewhere?
1: I started with a partner, and we ended up breaking up. Cordially, cordially, we
0: had different skills and visions for what we
1: wanted. At that time, we were running a branding. We, we had spec- specified it was going to be a branding agency. Um, and then I got more and more into direct response and uh, direct marketing and digital. And I really wanted to be in that space. For me personally, just as, as a marketer, I hated doing things that didn't lead to results for people. It drove me nuts. Uh, even if the clients were happy which ended up being the majority of my work where things wouldn't get executed or nothing would actually move forward. So even if the client was happy, you feel like such a fraud because (laughs) there's so much red tape to getting anything executed. So yeah, I ran that business for a while by myself and I had a team of contractors. So I, um, I had a designer, I had copywriters, I had strategists. I mean, you name it. I, I, I SEO guy, like I had each person, the, the problem was it wasn't a repeatable model or a scalable model. One of the things I wanted to correct that I saw in agencies was that often if you had someone on staff like an app developer, every proposal you had would include, hey, we think you should have an app, even if it wasn't in the best interest of the client. So I didn't want people on my staff that I felt obligated to maximize. Um, instead, I wanted to match make the creative team with the work that excited them. But as a result, you need... Um, Ton of clients to be able to fulfill that on the back end. And they're not always available if they're not your full time employees. So it's plus the better they are, the more expensive they become. And the margins on agency world, I, I couldn't make it work.
0: Um, it was just ridiculous, no, you did it for three years, and let's just say something about that right most i mean most companies, most companies fail within the first six months to a year, and then you learn something on your own. I think you need to get that out of the system because, like you like you are, I also freelance for currently technology companies and and small boutique agencies, which I absolutely love, but it's just me. I control yeah. my deliverable, my time. And I literally thought about, and there are many opportunities that present to themselves as in the great people I'm working with. Right now, I'm just give them a direct referral. I tell the clients, I'm not taking the dime from it. This guy, this, the girl yeah. on their own, they're going to do the great job. So if you want to hire me separately for project management, we're a promotional, whatever work. We'll talk about that separately. Yes. So, um, so I mean, good job on your end. I, I think it was very Thank compelling. You. Yeah. To me as well. So what is the new model you're in now? So it sounds like that yeah. agency's behind you. <laughs> what, what does that your day to day, uh, look like? Yes. So I started a virtual co-working space,
1: but it came out of this journey when I, about two and a half years into building an agency and realizing that I wasn't doing real marketing. I was effectively a client manager. I missed real marketing, to be honest with you. I missed writing. I missed connecting with clients or, or customers and understanding the full journey, building funnels, like all of those things. And I felt like I had a lot to say about what was wrong. So I started writing. And um, I put up a site called thatseemsimportant.com, and I wanted to talk about the, the the underbelly of marketing and all the shady things that I had seen because I think marketing is truly one of the most powerful tools that you can have for connection. It connects people's problems with their solutions. It connects. So many things are built on the backbone of this power, powerful tool for connection, and yet you see people abuse that power. You see people push You see people scream at you. And part of what I had wanted to do through my consultancy, I wasn't actually doing, which was empowering companies that I believed in, teaching them the skills so they could do it themselves, participating in ethical marketing. And none of that ended up actually happening because I was so bogged down in the day-to-day of execution. And... And that's the reality for most businesses, but for me, it was wearing down my health and I was having all the same problems as I did in the agency world. So I was like, you know what, let's rethink this model. So I spent some time writing and just getting my voice back and list building. I wasn't, I didn't even have a monetizable goal at this point. I just, I wanted to prove to myself that I had the marketing chops that I was doing for my clients. Cause it's one thing to do it for other people. It's a whole nother thing to do it for so yourself. So true. Oh my God. Shoemaker has no shoes. Oh, the 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 psychological minefield of being considered an expert in one space and then having to have a beginner's mind was so challenging for me because I put up a website and I knew my opt-ins were bad. I knew my CTAs were crappy. I knew like all of these things that I was fixing for clients I didn't have and I was so embarrassed about it. So I didn't promote it. I didn't want to tell anyone, but it it, it was a real lesson in humility. And um, what it takes to actually build something and put it out into the world. And it helped me empathize a lot more with my clients in that time. There is no shortcut. It really, it really affected, made me be louder about my marketing philosophy because I think so many clients are, and people are looking for this panacea, like, give me the system, tell me the thing. And there really is no shortcut. And this is part of why I haven't sold a course, even though everyone tells me to. I don't believe you can systematize this. Like You have to go through it on your own and really understand your market and get to know them. And no one can tell you what the perfect channel is gonna be. You have to mess up. Like you have to do the wrong channel. Like you have to do, you have to make a fool of yourself a few times in order to get it right. And that was the piece that I really couldn't do. And that's part of why I applied to MBA, uh, Alt MBA, because I knew that I was holding myself back and I was afraid of being loud because one, I didn't want to see, I didn't want my paying clients to see. They were paying me, you know, six figures to do stuff that I wasn't doing for myself. So I didn't want to be loud, but um, pushing through that hurdle. So I finally now, know my audience, know what they want, know what pain points they're suffering with, and who would even be attracted to the things that I'm saying, has been an eye-opening experience. Everything I predicted was wrong. You know, like I didn't know until I dug in. And now that, and that's that's where the virtual coworking space came from, is that I got to know people and more and more they were asking me questions about marketing. And I um I realized that they were all obsessed with taking courses and getting better and wanting to learn and constantly learning and learning and learning, but where they were getting stuck was not actually because they didn't know the information. It was because it's really freaking hard to implement by yourself. Like you need people who are like you. When you get that idea that you're excited about something and you have figured something out and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And you start to implement either four days later to two months later, somewhere in that span, you wake up and realize you're an idiot. And that nothing's gonna work, and you should probably just get a job. And like <laughs> you this spiral of self doubt. Uh, that's the actual problem. It's yeah. not marketing. And so once I figured that out, it was a huge aha moment for me because I went, okay, I'm not gonna sell these people marketing. I can fix that. That's not gonna actually help them with their problem. And I saw this in my client work too. The clients know what to do, they don't do it. So it's not a matter of not having the information. So I said, you know what they need is. They need coworkers. There are so many entrepreneurs that are on their own. They don't have a team or they have a team of contractors or they don't have a partner. Even if they have employees, they don't necessarily have someone they could just brainstorm with, which makes such a difference. A lot of us like this, what I was doing, I was using my spouse. I would come home every day and I would tell my husband, like, you know, I would just verbal vomit on him, all these amazing ideas. And he'd just look at me like doe-eyed and be like, yeah, that's cool.
0: Mm What?
1: And it totally demolishes you, even though he's my biggest fan. Mm-hmm. But having him, like, I was like, "Honey, you have to no, no, no. That's not how this works. Like, you have to have an idea, and then I chew on the idea, and then we give it back." And I was explaining
0: to him the mechanics of a brainstorm, right? Like, just how it actually. Oh, I have the opposite problem. Sometimes I just want someone to to be there and listen. And my partner is like commenting on every idea. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. I actually I got this all worked out. I'm just telling you this. <laughs> That's so funny. That's you know what's worked for me on that is um I I started
1: prefacing like when I'm venting and when I want feedback.
0: Oh, I I need to preface that. I that's such a great strategy to talk to anybody, not just a partner or a husband. You know that's so important. It's like if you're true, if you're taking up somebody's time, like what do, what is the purpose of that person in the role of those conversation? And you also don't want to come across as being too bossy to say I'm talking now. Your role is this yeah. predetermined. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we want to be part of this. <laughs> I'm actually I'm sign out. It's, it's relieving,
1: you know, because you're as a friend, you're always wanting to give advice and help and solve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But sometimes you just need to work it out yourself and, and talk through it and hear yourself out loud. So you're right, that that is part of it too. But yeah, so I wanted to create a container for that for people. And and so um one one of the things that really struck me is I'm so I live um, right outside Manhattan and I have connections physically to so many amazing people. I'm in the minority. Like if you don't live in a city like this, it's really hard to find like-minded entrepreneurs. And especially the ones that aren't wantrepreneurs. I've, I've joined a lot of communities of wantrepreneurs and I've spent so much money connecting with people who don't take advice, who never implement, who are full of good ideas and never actually get skin in the game. And it was making me crazy. crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> I can stand it. So what I did, is I was like, screw it. This is what's going to happen. I, I I put up a filter and I was like, this is, you have to apply to this space and I'm not letting it, you in. If you have a side hustle, like mm. you can come in, if you have a full-time gig and you eat what you kill, like the, I, I need people with that kind of pressure on their back. What's and the name I, of the
0: space and how, how do people apply? How many people do, do you have so far? We're expanding right now, but, I, uh, so, so I'll tell you a little about it. Um, so
1: it's called the arena, but you can find out about it on my website, um, thatseemsimportant dot You'll see a little thing that says virtual co working, and right now we have we have virtual events. So you have co worker catalog of people who I have vetted that are uh, it's a specific type of entrepreneur I should say. If you're if you're starting a SaaS company or a startup, you probably won't get much from it because we don't talk VC funding or anything like that. But it's it's for people who are driven by both purpose, passion, and profit. Um, Because I find that those types of entrepreneurs have the hardest time because if you're focused on profit, like it's really not that difficult. I mean, that sounds like terrible. It is difficult, but it's a lot easier if you're not connected. If you really, really care, sometimes it feels like profit and purpose motivations are in conflict. And so I wanted those kind of people in the space. Um, And so we have about 20 people right now, but it is expanding, um, who have weekly um, accountability. But we also do happy hours. We do marketing strategy smackdowns. Um, We have experts come in once a month um, to give you a workshop and talk about things that we're embarrassed. We don't know in public, like SEO. Oh, this sounds and,
0: amazing! And is this like a membership uh, fee, fee? Or so we do. We do a membership fee
1: um, right now. You can do three months, six months, or twelve months, and come in. And uh, you can always extend or pause. I want to make room for real life. The thing that I'm trying really hard to is also to attract um, people with families and and people who are coupled because I think right now you get a lot of solopreneurs who are digital nomads and are like hustle and disconnect and don't talk to anyone. I'm like, that's cute. Do you not have a husband? Um, <laughs> like, what would you do if you disappeared for a month? But okay. Yeah. You were talking about, um, so we do a lot of virtual events. Um, and we have, um, a space where you can, uh, we have a Slack channel that we, we talk on, but I'm actually going to move us, I think to mighty networks pretty soon, which is well,
0: that's a- uh, really incredible. I mean, we're, that this idea stem from uh you, you just talked about that, but for you to launch it, I mean, how long ago was this? A year ago? Oh my God, no, like this was this year. It was
1: kind of a product of Alt MBA is I I decided this was really embarrassing and it's I guess it's funny in retrospect, but I put up the sales page on a Google Doc because I just wanted to test it. I love and it. And I was shocked that it was converting really well. So I let in maybe less than a third of the people who actually applied. So I was, um, I was shocked, like, and, and I'm so mad because I can't actually track the traffic. Um, so I don't know what my conversion rates are, but I just put it up and I, I didn't tell very many people. I'm not even sure I put it up on my blog. I, I let individual people know who had expressed an interest in something like this, and people just started applying.
0: So, uh, how did you reach out? So, is it through your email list that you've been building? How did you reach out to so, those people? No, I, this was people I knew, um, and
1: where I got the idea. Some some of it came from my email list. I I, I might have mentioned it in a PS or something, but I really didn't promote it much because I wanted to, one. I wanted to test it. Uh, I wanted an MVP first. And uh, two, I wanted to make sure that, uh, that it was working and functional. Um, I had tried a beta version uh, that was free uh, the year before, and it didn't go well. So I, I got a lot of great uh, learnings from that. But it was, uh, one, don't ever test something free. Just don't do it, people. People if anyone's listening if you take nothing away from this podcast when you test something make people pay for it um that's number 1 um two i learned that there's there's a lot of subsets of entrepreneurs and i had put too many together on different levels so i had a bunch of really really successful friends who had you know either sold businesses or were at that um, just at a much higher level they'd been in the game maybe 10 plus years and they really didn't want to help someone who'd been there for two you know they were just like these aren't questions that are relevant to me so breaking those up into two different categories was really helpful. Pricing wise, it was interesting too, because people who were 10 plus years in business thought I wasn't charging enough. And people who were less than three years in thought it was expensive. So it was interesting.
0: What what is the price range? Uh, You know, the three, six, nine months membership, what is it like?
1: Sure, sure. So um there that's a really good question. So I'm I I don't have off the top of my head, but it's effectively one ninety nine a month and it tailors down uh to I think one seventy nine or one sixty nine based on
0: how many months that you sign up. Hope you enjoy this episode of the Phase World Podcast. My team and I will be thrilled if you choose to write us a review on iTunes. It really helps to get the word out. Simply search for Phase World Podcast in your iTunes app under Podcast. Click on Readings and Reviews tab and then write a review. The star review takes seconds, or a brief text review will be fantastic too. Thank you on behalf of me and my team from FaceWorld.